so good to see y'all. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to, to come together as we open the Word and we uh, study a, an incredible New Testament book that, sh that just reveals wisdom, your wisdom, and that we would hear it through your speaker today, Father, that you would bless him to use him to, to share his time of study, what you've put upon him, Father, that uh, he would share with us, that we would learn, and then beyond that, we would go and apply it in our homes, our places of work. Father, that as we go about living it and sharing it, we learn it ourselves to a deeper level. Father, thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Alan. Again, thank you all for being here tonight. I know it's a cold, rainy evening, and I understand the cold weather's coming this uh, weekend, so I'm very appreciative of everyone being here. As we're walking through James, I want to remind you of some things. First of all, many people have parted out the book of James, this letter of James, uh, to the uh, Jewish believers who are scattered abroad, dispersed abroad, he said in verse 1. Um, people tend to take sections of it and want to apply it to their lives and uh, specific lives and, and have uh, specific issues to say that James is dealing with this and this and this. But really, James, when you walk through this, we need to approach it from the standpoint of every letter in the New Testament. There's an issue that is being addressed, and we know that James, in writing to these Jewish believers, uh, he's going to be talking about uh, two types of people. He's going to be talking about one who is trusting Christ in everyday life, knowing that the reward, the blessing is coming at, uh, when Christ returns. And then there's another group of believers who have uh, justified their behavior, uh, approaching their trials in life, uh, justifying their behavior. They are uh, those uh, Jewish believers who have fallen into self-righteous works and acts and, and really justifying being blessed on this side of heaven. They're wanting the blessing on this side of heaven. They're saying, if I'm right with God, if I'm spiritual, then I'm going to be experiencing these financial blessings, status, and wealth. And really what we see is we see two types of believers, one moving in one direction. When we talk about death, works leading to death, we're talking about Individuals who are not able to represent Christ, they're not able to represent the character of Christ based on how they're living their lives. And then you have uh, the believer who is trusting Christ in everyday life through the trials they're walking through, knowing that their blessing is coming at Christ's return. Now, we've talked about this in other letters in the New Testament. What I want you to see as we're walking through this, the desire of my heart as a pastor is for you to see how God is at work through the whole New Testament, really just bringing commentary through the apostles of what God has been saying all along, the coming Messiah, the king comes, and then there's the rejection of the king by the Jews, and now the Gentiles are able to be brought into uh, the kingdom of God and uh, as, as the gospel was sent out to the Gentiles, knowing that Christ is going to return, and you're going to see this pattern of faith. You're going to see in the early church and in the apostles' writings, you're going to see them over and over and over again reminding the believer the blessing is to come. In the here and now of life, our key is to be faithful and obedient to Christ, to represent Christ, and leaving the results up to him. 
We're not looking for the blessing on this side of heaven, okay? So when James is walking through this letter to these uh, Jewish believers he's writing to, He's reminding them of the life they have. They're not to show partiality. Uh, you've got these uh, certain believers who are saying they're justifying their works. They're justifying their, the way they're living out their faith and, uh, and saying we're, we're, we're following the law. And yet when you look in the mirror, as in chapter one, you look in the mirror of the law, the word of God, how are you holding up according to that standard? Well, they think they're holding up pretty good, justifying themselves, but we know that they are failing miserably, and the true believer will humble themselves whenever we have the word of God in front of us, and Christ is our standard, Christ is our example, we all are humbled in that moment, for none of us can maintain that standard. And so, as we walk into this text, again, just reminding us, James, the half-brother of Jesus, okay, the half-brother of Jesus, knowing that the Holy Spirit uh, was the one who uh, caused Mary to conceive in her womb, and so uh, Joseph was not his true father, right? Just kind of backtracking to Christmas. Uh, James grew up in a Jewish home. He did not believe in Jesus' ministry while he was here on earth. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7 states that after, the, after Christ arose from the grave, he appeared to James. First Corinthians 15, okay? We know that James became a leader in the church of Jerusalem. In Galatians, Paul called him a pillar of the church. Uh, in Acts 15, James was heading up this meeting where they, uh, Paul and Peter and the apostles and different leaders in the church were discussing the Gentiles coming into the faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And they were saying, okay, some were saying that they needed to be circumcised, they needed to become like a Jew in order to truly be saved. James is the one, after listening to everyone, he takes them to the word of God and says, here's what we should do, guys. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But uh, uh, we don't have a record about, uh, biblical record, what happened to James, but tradition tells us that James was martyred in 62 AD, that the uh, Pharisees were so angry with James's testimony of Christ that they, they took him uh, on, up on the temple and threw him off of the temple, and uh, they beat him to death with clubs. And uh, the story goes that he... Uh, basically died the way that uh, Christ did, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, that's not in the biblical record, so that doesn't have anything to do with us walking through James. Uh, so, um, other than the fact of just trying to shed light on, on the man. Uh, we know, as I shared with you, he's writing to uh, the Jewish believers who have been scattered abroad. I remember in Acts where Peter at Pentecost uh, the, the sending of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, and they began speaking in tongues to different uh, people groups in their own language. And so many of those Jewish uh, people who came to faith went back to their areas where they lived, and some believe that this is how the church went out at that point. Um, and so he's writing to these different, uh, different believers, uh, Jewish believers. So we get into chapter 1. Let's go to verse 2, okay? Right away, he says, oh, just, Adam, I'm sorry. If, if you need the uh, headset, the media headset, for Don is translating in Spanish, so if there's anyone here uh, that needs that, uh, Adam has one. He just wanted me to say that. Didn't. Okay, uh, verse 2. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Right away, I want you to notice this where he says, consider it all joy. Why would he say, consider it all joy? Uh, What is he he pointing to here? I'm just uh, rhetorically asking that because I think this is one thing that uh, we have failed miserably in the church, communicating and discipling people towards. The reason why he would say, consider it all joy, my brethren, is because of the outcome of the trial, okay? And so uh, the outcome of the trial, he says, I want you to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter, what, various uh, trials because of the outcome of what happens there. And so this produces, this process produces in the believer an approval, a faith approved by God that is mature and complete. Um, Your focus as a born-again believer has to be on what is to come. If you are focused on the here and now and being blessed in the here and now, you're going to miss what James is saying. James is saying our focus is to be at the return of Christ. Our blessing is coming with the resurrection when our faith is complete, matured, approved by a holy God. And this process produces that. It's basically what, what I have been calling it myself as eschatological living. That's kind of a fancy way of, of living in a way I'm waiting for Christ's return. We have failed miserably in the church uh, by preparing people for the return of Christ. Because if I am constantly focused on the return of Christ and what is to come, it will dictate the way in which I live out my faith in the here and now. Many people take, and this is uh, where some of these Jewish believers, they were taking justifying and saying, I know God, if I'm right with God, if I'm spirit, he's going to bless me now. They were justifying their wanting to become wealthy and climb up the status uh, ladder. And so in the, when we focus on the here and now, then I'm, I'm looking for that blessing now, okay? And we have to be very careful. Now, I'm not going to judge, I don't want to judge anybody or the church, but um, that's what we... Well, we need to be honest. Well, many of us use our faith to uh, call upon God to bless us in the here and now. Many of us approach our faith with, God, what can you do for me now? What can you do for me on this side of heaven? And nowhere in Scripture do you see, other than the fact that Christ gives us the Holy Spirit to be at work in the church, to give uh, gifts to the church so that the church can be edified, built up, and growing to represent Christ. Uh, It's never for selfish gain. It's never for the advancement of the individual, okay? And so if I'm focused on, okay, God, what can you do for me now? I'm totally not thinking about what's to come, am I? All right, just think, this is a whole different mindset, a whole different way of looking at life. James, the apostles, uh, the other people in the early church, they they understood who they were in Christ. They understood who Christ is. They they understood uh, what he had done, and they understood what he was going to do. It was nailed down for them so that on this side of heaven, this doing of life was simply, how can I represent Christ? If you stop for a moment and ask yourself, how has that focus changed my walk with Christ, or has it? Where do you find yourself planting yourself as far as your faith and how you're walking it out? Do you find yourself praying more for the blessings on this side, or God, would you bless me? Would you give this? I need this. Or are you saying, uh, are your prayers consumed by this desire for Christ to be exalted and the church to be built up. That's two different ways of walking through life. 
Are you tracking with me on this? There's this focus. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. I often do not do that. We often do not do that. We, we often come together and we find ourselves broken and weeping over our situation physically. I may be hammering this too much, but we've got to get this in our hearts. We've got to embrace what the apostles were teaching. It is about the return of Christ and us living accordingly, waiting for that return. That being said, it moves me, it drives me, to make sure that I'm asking the right questions of your location. How are you doing in that faith? Church, how are you walking it out? How are we doing? How's our prayer going? How's our serving going? Because we have limited time. We have limited time. I've got children, and hopefully one day I'll have grandchildren. <laughs> um, Lord Terry's, are they ready for the return of Christ? Are they ready? Are you ready? And so... It keeps, this, this keeps me up at night, folks. This keeps me at night, the wheel spinning, because, uh, and I've had to be able to give you over to the Lord because I can't make it happen. I can't make it happen. I have to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you through the Word of God that you can be joyful in the midst of your trial, that you can experience that joy, even though it hurts. Okay, so uh, just continuing on there. It's a whole different way of look. It's uh, where we are going to from the beginning of our faith to the face-to-face with Jesus. That distance, that gap in between, the beginning of our faith and that moment of face-to-face. All of this in between, okay, all of this in between are going to be various trials, okay? So if I were, I tried to do this last week and I think I failed miserably, but um, you have God, if I were to put it on the board, be God, and then faith of the believer, you know, we come to faith, uh, the cross, we come down here to a, there's a trial in our life, and we have an option right here in that trial, one of two different paths. One, the path of death that, that James talks about, where our works, how we're working out our faith, I'm not talking about Earning your, earning your salvation, okay? I'm not talking about earning salvation. I'm talking about the outgrowth of your faith, how you're living it out, okay? When it is about self and wealth, guess what? It's just, it's a path of death. In other words, no ability, no ability to represent Christ, be an image bearer. But if we respond the way that James calls us to, guess what? It puts us on a path so here's a, here's a trial, here's a trial, here's a trial. And then if I could draw a crown, that's, oh, pardon me. <laughs> okay, woohoo, got some jewels, all right, okay, a crown. There we go. Wow. Huh. <laughs> the return of Christ. All right. At this juncture right here, these trials are producing a faith that is approved by God. That's what James is saying. It's a refining. It's a refining. These tests are refining our faith. The, the reality is this. It's not a straight line. If we want to be honest, 
with these trials, it kind of goes like this, and we just kind of, uh, and then we kind of go up a little bit, and then we kind of go down, and then we kind of, it, it's just, but we're always trying, always keeping in focus because of grace, because of grace, <laughs> one day, one day, amen, and one day. All right, so, uh, yeah, let me get this ugly thing off the board. Okay, so in verses two through four, we have a passage that uh, we've, we've read uh, in other places, same, same issue. Look, notice what he says. When you encounter various trials, the when is a definite there. It's not if, it is when. You need to get this in your mind, when I encounter a various trial, okay? So it is going to happen, and these trials are anything that interrupts our normal flow of life that can produce hardship, uh, difficulties, the testing of one's faith. It is in that moment of that trial, that is the moment in which we have a decision to engage in our faith, to trust Christ. It is what I've called a crisis of faith. How will I respond in this moment? So the trial comes, it hits, and I'm faced with this, this crisis of belief. Will I trust Christ? Will I persevere, endure, push through, and allow Christ to walk me on through, or, or will I resort to human wisdom? Will I resort to uh, my own abilities in the flesh and want to counter? It is a given that you will encounter. Uh, the, most, the problem here is that most Christians are not prepared for this. Most Christians are not prepared for the coming of the trial. And therefore, they respond in a way that doesn't always uh, bear the, the image of Christ, okay? So we've done a huge disservice to the church. And I would, uh, I would call pastors into account on that, and myself included. Uh, right there, it is, it is up to the pastors and the elders and the teachers in the church to equip the believer, to equip the, the congregation, the body of believers to be prepared. Notice the word that he says there in uh, verse 3, knowing. Knowing. That's a very important word that you know because uh, you need to know. Now, he's writing to these Jewish believers, but as you're walking through this, us being in Christ, this, these principles, this letter applies to us, okay, and what we're walking through as well. So you knowing... Do you know that this testing of faith, what it's going to produce? Do you know this process? Are you aware of this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. This testing, as we talked about it Sunday, this is the testing is this trying to learn the nature or character of someone by submitting them to a thorough or extensive testing, Okay. When we talk about the testing of your faith, God allows this testing to come forth in our life. He submits us to this testing, not because he's desiring or tempting us to fail or fall. As we'll see, that comes from Satan. That comes from our own human wisdom, our flesh, and Satan tempting us to fall as Eve was tempted. Okay, But from God, he is submitting us to this test that our faith, our, the character of Christ comes forth, and he's producing a rock-solid faith in us that develops this perseverance, this endurance, the ability to work through the hardship, okay? This testing of your faith, this belief in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done and what he will do. If you want to put the nuts and bolts in this, in that trial, in that testing, it is in that moment that you begin to uh, walk back through your faith what exactly happened to me when I met Christ? What exactly happened at salvation? 
And that's why Peter, in chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, remember we walked through those verses this past Sunday. Remember, he said, in this you greatly rejoice. What was he talking to us about? He is reminding us of this so great a salvation that we have, that through Christ, through the, the word of God coming to us, Christ causes us to be born again. We are brought into the body of Christ. We get to enjoy this incredible salvation of being at peace with God and having access to a holy God. He nails that down for us and says, oh, by the way, this is reserved for you where? In heaven. We're reviewing Sunday now. This is reserved for you in heaven where he is keeping watch over it, and he's guarding you as well, making sure that one day it's coming to you, right? Okay, you nail that down. So in the middle of this trial, I'm thinking about what happened in Christ. Well, what did he do? He paid the penalty for my sin. It's all been taken care of, praise God. I'm, I'm guilt-free. It's removed there's nothing keeping me at odds with God, this holy God, okay? And so if his great love is being demonstrated and activated in my life, then what is this trial to this holy and high God? What is that to him? You see, now, this prayer time, because Paul and Peter and others are going to be constantly talking about this prayer issue, this prayer thing. What happens in the prayer time? In the prayer time, I am praying oftentimes myself, encouraging others to do this well, praying the word of God because the word of God, it redirects me. It gets me back in line with who Christ is and what he has done. So now track with me in the middle of this process of the trial. I'm in the middle of this trial and I'm, I'm reviewing who Christ is. I'm reviewing what he's done for me. And I'm saying, Lord, in this trial, I want to be a true image bearer. I don't want to get off track. So Lord, right now, in my flesh, my tendency is to be off track and not be an image bearer. So through prayer, I'm praying for you, you're praying for me, we're praying for the body of Christ. The image of Christ is exalted. People see Jesus in the midst of our trials. And guess what? That's kind of like that car on that track with the metal bar in the middle and, and as a kid in the uh, amusement park. I'm, I'm wanting to drive it. Well, I, I shared that in the second service, I think, one Sunday. But when I was a kid, I wanted to go off the track. I wanted to go my direction. I wanted to run ahead of the guy in front of me or maybe even tap him on the bump on the bumper but but what God does through the word is he he redirects us he gets us back in line with his will through his word so as we're in prayer that's why we need to devote ourselves to prayer as a body of Christ because I need you praying for me and I need to be praying for you we pray for each other that our faith will endure will persevere it's working together in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the accountability of brothers and sisters in the midst of trial saying, don't quit don't quit. Don't quit. It's worth it. Because the testing of our faith, it's going to prove genuine. And God's developing rock-solid faith in the believer. And so this process, we, we're not often familiar with the process. We don't always understand this. We, we're walking through it, and many times after the fact, we might look back and go, well, I can see how God was there. Yeah, okay. But for me to identify as a believer the steps of the process, the steps of the process that I will endure and what God walks us through. And so uh, in Scripture, James, he says this uh, in verse 3 and 4, faith produces endurance. Endurance is the ability to withstand hardship, okay? That's what endurance is. 
the ability to withstand hardship. You think about some of these situations you find yourself in, you need endurance, you need to make it through, right? And so what is happening is your faith gives you the ability because your trust, your faith is not in faith just in of itself. Faith is in Christ. It is who the faith is placed in that sees us through, that gives us its faith in Christ. It gives us the ability to endure the hardship. So this testing produces endurance, and endurance makes your faith, he says, complete. In verse 4, lacking in what? Lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. When I think of the abundance of, of God and and how he is able to give out of his abundance, do you think he's focused on financial wealth when he makes those statements in the word of God? This is exactly right here what he's talking about. The completing of your faith, the maturing of your faith, the ability to walk through these trials and these testings. He's able to give out of his abundance, his strength, his ability, his power. As he endured, we're able to endure because our faith is in him. Okay, and so as we look through this, I, I want to compare just a few passages just to, because I, I told you we see it in other places. Turn to Romans chapter 5, please, just for, for a moment. Romans chapter 5, Paul addresses this in chapter 5, talking about this rock-solid faith that God is growing and producing in us. Verses 1 through 5, 5, verses 1 through 5. Many of you know this inside and out. And we are, we are saying it in other passages. We're seeing, we're seeing these apostles saying the same thing throughout the New Testament. Isn't it? A, why are we so surprised that they're saying the same thing in different letters? Why would that be? Because it's faith in the same God, in the same Savior, believing the same thing. They're one body. Okay, in one spirit. So in verse 1, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, that justification is a, is a legal term. We're, we're no longer pronounced guilty. We are not guilty because of our trust in Christ and his finished work on the cross. We are, and how are we justified by that? Through faith. It is by faith that that happens. And we have what? Peace with God. Our acceptance of a holy God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have peace with God. We're no longer an enemy of God. Uh, and this happens through our Lord Jesus Christ. You go to verse 2, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. So two things there Paul is saying. One, acceptance by a holy God. We were once outside of the fellowship of this holy God, not accepted. Now through Christ, faith in Christ, we're accepted by a holy God, have peace with him, and now we have access to this holy God through faith in Jesus Christ, okay? That's where he says our introduction by faith into this grace, it is undeserved. It is um, unmerited favor. God has graced us with this. It is a gift from God in which we stand. You need to remember that our standing in the midst of the trial and testing is not based in our own ability or strength. It is the strength of Christ. It is his grace and love uh, enabling us to stand firm. He says, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Then verse 3, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Now we're getting into the same thing that James is saying, same thing Peter has said, same thing that Paul has said in Philippians. We, uh, we exult in our tribulations. We rejoice in our tribulations, he would be saying, knowing, now again, knowing this is key for you. Do you know this? 
it's so imperative that you know this process you're being walked through every day because it's going to point you to what is to come and it, it's a part of just knowing is also part of getting you through the hardship as well. Knowing that the tribulation brings about perseverance, okay? It brings about uh, perseverance. This perse- perseverance and then leads to what? Proven character. In the text, it moves from perseverance, proven character, and proven character what? Hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Here's what's happening as James was also in verses two through four pointing to that same process. Okay, this tribulation as we're submitted to this test, this trial, it produces a perseverance in us, ability to work through, make it through the hardship, endure the hardship. It produces a proven character, whose character is coming forth. Christ, the character of Christ. We are responding with the character, the righteousness of Christ. It is coming forth in the trial, and people are seeing Jesus and not us. Okay? Which is not the way the antagonist in James uh, works that led, led to uh, leading to death or the inability to represent God, but rather the one going up. Uh, proven character. So this proven character, um, this refining, if you will, this is, uh, we talked about it Sunday, uh, as gold is refined, what happens when we heat gold? Impurities are burned off. This proven character, this test, it's cranking up the heat in your life. Oh, Lord, this is kind of tough. Uh, my flesh really wants to run. My flesh does not want to respond the way Christ would respond. My, my flesh is crying out, uh, desperate for some relief. And in that test, the heat's cranked up, and that's being burned off. Remember Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must do what? Deny self, take up his cross, and follow me. What he is saying in this testing, we are crucifying our flesh. We're taking, as Paul said in Colossians, put off the old self, the old man, put on the new. So in this testing, we're crucifying the flesh. The image of Christ and his character is able to step forward. That's that proven character. It's building that, proving that. Okay, and then... Uh, this produces uh, hope. Hope does not disappoint. And that is in the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. This is why we do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. You are needed in the body of Christ because someone's going through the test right now. You're either going in or in it or coming out. And as you may be coming out, somebody else may be going in. And as they're going in, if they're younger in their faith and you're a seasoned saint and you go, you know what, I, I just kind of, I think I'm just going to stay home for a while. I, you know, I got things going on. And there's a young brother way over on the other side of the fellowship. And if you were to look across the room and be at a distance, you'd be going, man, they, they're not doing so well. That's a shame. I got to take care of this stuff. And we're doing our, our thing. We move back toward, we move towards that which we love. You've heard me say that, right? Belief, belief encourages the right behavior. If we have the right belief, it encourages the right behavior. As Paul and Peter and James and others are saying, that brother or sister in need, if I see them, James is going to say this, if I see them in need and have the ability to meet the need and I don't do it, what is that? I'm breaking the law. And so when we take a selfish approach to the gathering together as believers, 
We go, you know what? It's not really good for me tonight. That's not really good for me this Sunday. That's not really good for me to go to the brother's house and fellowship. That's not really good for me. Do you hear what, what's being voiced? Good for me, good for me, good for me. Is that the approach that Christ took? No, it's not. He took a totally different approach. Uh, if we were to be facetious and, and really take, if we were to put a fleshly view, human wisdom view, and put it on Christ, would it have been good for Christ to leave heaven? Would it have been good for him to take, the, uh, take on flesh and become a man? Would it have been good for him to live life in this hard, cruel world? Would it have been good for him to go about teaching, trap three years? He said, I don't have a head to lay my, a pillow to lay my head on. You know, all that, that conversation. Uh, would it have been good for him to keep going on and on and, on and healing the sick, feeding the hungry, and on touching humanity? Okay, would it, have been good for, would it have been good for him to subject himself to the religious leaders and the Pharisees? Would it have been good for him to go into the garden that night fervently in prayer to do the will of, of the Father, and he, he's, he's sweating drops of blood? Would it have been good for him to be accused of something that he had never done. It would have been good for him to have his beard plucked and be beaten and nailed to a cross, allow himself to be nailed. It would have been good for him, but he did. But he did. What the apostles and in the early church, these believers did, it wasn't about what was good for them. It was about what is good for the church and exalting Christ. You see, so we sacrifice self, that others might be blessed. And those who were blessed were not the ones who were financially blessed on the side of heaven, receiving the status, the wealth, and justifying their behavior based on selfish motives. No, the blessed were the ones that were humble of heart, exalting Christ, and working through the trial. That's a whole different way of looking at life, isn't it, folks? Okay? My, my burden for our church is that we embrace the theology of the New Testament, not the world. It is a radical change. It is a radical change for us to put the interest of others ahead of our own. It is a radical shift in your prayer life to do that, to submit, and, and for you to, uh, whether you realize it or not, okay, Everyone is submitted to this process, okay? Make no mistake about it. If you're in Christ, you are being submitted to this process by God. There's a refining. He disciplines those he loves. He is walking us all through that. The issue is that we don't always respond the way we need to. Praise God for grace. Okay, I need to, we need to move on. Um, there's another passage uh, that we could compare, and uh, if you were here Sunday, you walked through that. That was First Peter chapter one, verses six through seven. Um, and Peter said, "In this you greatly rejoice." Our salvation, as I said earlier, um, he says, "Even though for a little while, if necessary, you're distressed by various trials." Okay, so that the proof of your faith, this genuineness, this real character of Christ, you being refined. Uh, may be found through this testing at the return of Christ, you will have an approved by God, if you will, an approved by God type of faith, okay? So then when you move into verse five, 
But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any, and this, this word here is translated doubting. I've asked other people about this word. I've looked it up myself. Um, it is, doubting is not the word that is uh, best represents the real word here, the real word, the okrino in the Greek. It has to do with judging. It's not without any doubting, okay? When you read it this way, it makes it hard to tie everything together. But it says he must ask in faith without any judging. What, what were these uh, antagonists? What were these people that James is dealing with this issue? They are judging their brother, the poor fellow, and saying he's not very spiritual. Look, he's dirt poor. He's broke. He doesn't have any money. Apparently, God's not blessing him. Remind you of any other conversation in the Old Testament. Remember Job and his friends? They went and said, Job, man, something's going on with you, brother. God's not blessing you. You need to repent. Some kind of sin's going on. His friends misjudged God and misjudged Job, and Satan even misjudged Job because Satan said, look, God, only reason why Job is uh, blessing your name, only reason why he's living for you is because you're bribing him. You're blessing him financially. Anyone, anyone would praise God when God's blessing them financially, Okay? In fact, people preach and teach that. If you're right with God, he's going to bless you financially. Okay? It wasn't the case, though. When God said to Satan, have you considered my, my man Job? Okay? And Job, he acknowledged that, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but am I just going to praise God when he blesses me? Am I not going to praise him as well in adversity? All of us should be simply praising God for who he is period. Amen. So, so, um, okay, where were we in this first five? He says, uh, without any judging for the one who, uh, judges is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for that man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because he's being a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. So let's just slow down for, for a minute. If anyone lacks wisdom, wisdom, as we, uh, tried to look last week briefly, where does, uh, where, who is the source of all wisdom? God. God is the one who determines what is uh, truly good. God is the one who determines true wisdom. Uh, wisdom comes out of the character of God. Remember Genesis, God saw, he created, he saw, he determined that all of his creation was good. He was the one who determines good versus evil. We also acknowledge that to go against the character of God was to be considered evil. And so God is the source of all good. God is the source, his character is what is good. Uh, righteousness, his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is considered to be wisdom. And so as we are walking through these testings, these trials, we need wisdom. We need the character of Christ to come forward. We need the righteousness of Christ to give us the ability to point the way to walk through the testing in a way that honors God. Okay, so uh, in that testing, Lord, my flesh wants to do X, Y, and Z, but I know, God, you would have me do else uh, something uh, totally different than what the world would say. So, Lord, I need the wisdom of God. I need the righteousness of Christ to come forth in my life. I need to follow his standard. I don't know how to respond to this testing. I haven't been through this testing before. I don't know exactly what to say. I don't know exactly how to respond. I need the revelation of God. How do I get the revelation of God? Through the word of God. God spoke 
and he revealed his character. He, he created, he spoke. It is the only way that we even know the character of God is that he revealed his character to us, okay? Now, we, we kind of just quickly walk through what happened with Eve. Eve's tempted by Satan, and she begins to determine for herself what is good. She's influenced by Satan. She's deceived. She's tempted. And now she looks at the fruit, the fruit that God said, don't touch it lest you die. And so he had determined what is good, what is evil. Now Eve is, she's beginning to determine for herself what is good, okay, and she responds out of that and says, takes for herself, okay? Now, with Christ, the character of God, remember we went through Colossians, and in Colossians, what did we see? We see Paul saying that Christ is the, the revelation or the vision or the image of whom? The invisible God. Jesus told the disciples, remember uh, in John 14, I think it was Thomas, he said, uh, show us the Father, or was it Philip, one of those two, um, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been this long with you? Uh, you? To see me, you've seen the Father, okay? So the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, how, does, how do we have this? We have it revealed by God, and then Christ, the Word made flesh, comes to man, and he lives it out. He lives it out, Okay? So I'm in the middle of this testing. I'm in the middle of this trial. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I want to honor you. I want to be an image bearer. Lord, I need wisdom. Where am I going to get that wisdom? From the word of God. From him, the revealed character of God, as he has given it to us through his word, I'm going to go to him as the source. And I want you to notice what he says. If any of you likes wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. And he's not going to revile you. He's not going to rebuke you. He's not going to rail on you when you ask. You just come to him and say, Lord, I need the wisdom. And God generously, graciously is ready to give of who he is. Not the same as mankind. Mankind is self-centered. He is selfish. He wants to hoard. God doesn't need us. You understand that? God doesn't need you and me. He is totally sufficient in and of himself. He didn't have to create man. He didn't need to create man. Out of his goodness, out of who he is, out of his love, he just he creates man. And he gives to man everything he needs in the garden. Remember that. He, everything you need, it's all right here. You remember when David sinned, uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba? In the judgment, as he's confronted by Nathan the prophet, God calls him out and he says, I gave you this and I gave you this and I gave you this. And he said, if that were not enough, I would have given you more. Many of us look at God as a taker. God is a very generous God. He is a very giving God. And so when it comes to us honoring Christ and walking through the trial and the testing, guess what? God is not going to sit there and hold out. He wants you to be an image bearer. He wants you to have proven character. He wants you to endure. He wants perseverance in you. And he wants to grow your hope because he wants you looking for that day, his return. You remember John, the apostle John in 1 John? He talked about the return of Christ and that we live in such a way that as his appearing, we would not be ashamed. Rather, we would be able to gaze at him in confidence. You see what's at work here? 
Our, our eyes are, are, are moving off of our testing. Our eyes are moving off of self-centered uh, gratification and selfishness. And our eyes are being shifted that this testing is growing our faith and building our faith to such a degree that we can praise God even in the midst of adversity. And the world would look at you and say, you're a fool. You are a fool. This God. What God would uh, allow that to happen in your life? Have you heard that before? What God would allow that to happen? And so for the world, it's foolishness, but with God, it is the wisdom of God. And so in verse, if you lack wisdom, he says, ask, he generously will give without reproach. And he says, and it will be given to him generously, abundantly, without reprimand. Freely given to the one in verse six, but he must ask in faith without judging. This believer is walking by faith. He's representing the character of Christ in these trials and the testing of his faith. The, the faith is growing. And the believer, this judging, the believer is to respond without partiality and, and putting the focus on self. It is to represent God in his character in the midst of that test. So I, I want to remind you of a couple of passages. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, if you want to turn there. Apologize for not uh, making it convenient for you and having it on the board, on the screen. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, and it is verse, beginning of verse 12, okay? 10 verse 12, verse, seven, uh, verse 17 through 19. So now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways? That takes wisdom. Uh, that takes revelation. Um, what does he require? You fear the Lord uh, your God, to walk in all his ways. And don't miss this, love him. And to serve the Lord your God with all your what? Heart and with all your soul. Single-minded, single-souled, okay? Totally devoted to the Lord. Totally devoted to God. Is there any split devotion there? Does God say to the children of Israel, you know, on Monday through Saturday, I want you devoted to me? Or you can, no, let's switch that. Monday through, let's go Sunday, because we're talking about the Jews. Uh, Sunday through uh, Friday, you can enjoy the world. But Saturday, the Sabbath, you're mine. Now, he doesn't say that, does he? What does he say? You're to love the Lord your God with all of what? All your heart, okay? And to serve the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul. You move down to verse 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show what? Partiality nor take a bribe. He ex executes justice for the orphan and the widow. Why would he highlight ex executing justice for the orphan and the widow? Does the orphan or the widow have anything to offer back to anyone? No, in the biblical text, uh, the orphan and the widow were the neediest of the bunch. Oftentimes they didn't have, if you gave to them, you could not give to them and expect anything in return. That's what the James is dealing with, believers who are giving based on the return on investment and how they're going to be blessed or benefit out of it. The, the widow, the orphan and the widow, they have nothing to offer back. It is just the mercy, the sacrificial mercy of God. He's just going to give out of his goodness 
uh, to meet their need. And so he executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Now, um, what is he referencing there? They were once in bondage to Egypt. God, they, were, they had no way of getting out of them. They were, under, they were in bondage to the most powerful nation on the planet. They had no way of getting out of that bondage in their own strength and ability. It was the mercy of God who says, I love you. I'm going to fashion a people who will serve me and love me. You're going to be my own, and I'm going to deliver you from the most powerful nation in the world. And he did. He says, now, out of this, what James is going to do is he's going to say, out of, out of that understanding of this God, you are to demonstrate that in your relationships. You're not to show any partiality. He's going to address this in the church because uh, these, uh, some of these Jewish believers are showing partiality, and they're justifying their behavior, okay? And so he says, uh, he deals with just so you'll, you'll know, uh, the kind of God that we're speaking of. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 8. Turn over to chapter 15. And what does it say there? If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you. So right away, are they earning this land? No. Who's giving it to them? The Lord. And if you find any poor brother in the land that, oh, by the way, you, were, you didn't buy it. You didn't earn it. It was given to you, right? Uh, you shall not harden what? Your heart. You shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. What is he meaning by closing your hand? He's got a need, and financially you have the means to meet that need. Uh, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. Now, this is the, the nature of this God that we serve. He generously gives. He doesn't show any partiality. Um, with him, he uh, shows no partiality. And so uh, when we look at, going back to James, go back to James This man who, uh, who is asking for this wisdom is not one to, to uh, be a judging man. He's not one to be, um, look where he says, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The one who is in the midst of the test and the trial is the one who is trusting Christ. We're looking for that blessings to come. We are persevering through that trial, enduring. It's producing a rock-solid faith in us. And the, the issue of being a double-minded man is this, you've got this trial, and God wants to build this faith in us for that coming day at his return. But this Jewish man, this Jewish believer who is self-centered, justifying his actions, is walking this way. He's trusting in self and what God can give him, all right? 
That's a human wisdom, if you will, approach, doing what is good in your own eyes versus what? The wisdom of God being an image bearer. What we see happening here is this. We see this believer who's going uh, back and forth. He's not single-minded. He's not focused on the life in Christ and being an image bearer. We have this, he's unstable in all his ways. This is in this journey of life. We see uh, one who is, uh, he's just, he's got a love for the world. Now, notice in James, I think it's chapter four, he's going to talk about wisdom from above, wisdom from below that is satanic. Uh, there's this, uh, this battle that we see back and forth. Um, we see in the Old Testament where Elijah, he uh, approached the Baal prophets. And what was this? He said, how long are you going to go back and forth? If God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Stop being this back, stop being this two-souled. Double-minded means two-souled. Stop being this two-souled person. Stop going back. We need to make up our mind. Okay, so the one who is going back and forth is not going to receive the wisdom of God to apply that wisdom in the middle of the testing and trial. We have got to come to Christ through humility. We've got, and we're going to see this in the next uh, passages. Look, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Wait a minute, what do you mean? He's humble circumstance, glory in his high position. Because God's not... Uh, basing your position here on earth based on what you have, based on your status. Okay, these individuals are going through the testing and the trials, and they're just sacrificially serving the Lord. And guess what? In God's eyes, in this proving of their faith, they are going to meet the approval. They're going to have a faith that is approved by God, which puts them in a high position with God at his return. Okay? If we really wanted to go into deeper detail about the return of Christ, uh, the word of the apostles, they taught that um, we shall reign with Christ in the millennial reign. Uh, Jesus said to store up your treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust can get to it and destroy it. What is he saying? The way you steward life here on earth, on this side of heaven, affects uh, what's to come. Okay? Paul said, do you not know that you're going to be judging angels? And you can't even judge amongst one another. Instead, you take each other to court, to trial. Paul calls them out on that. You understand, eternity, we're in the perspective of eternity. How you steward this life affects what's to come eternally based on God's word, okay? But when you're focused in the here and now and material possessions, uh, physical blessing, uh, on this side of heaven, it gets you off track and off focus on what's to come. Okay, so the early church, they understood this, they anticipated his return, totally changes how we look at life. He says, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. In other words, his, his faith is being built, it's being tested, it's being proven. God is refining, if you will, that faith. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers with the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. 
And he's saying, rich man, you need to humble yourself. You need to return. Um, this is... This, uh, James is referencing in the Old Testament. We see it in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 40. We see it in some other passages where God is saying to this rich person who's focused on their wealth and their power, you need to understand that it's just like the grass. The wind comes. Have you seen the heat? Have you seen the drought in Brenham? Have you seen how the grass can be lush and green? Have you seen how we can have moisture in a country and everything's just blooming and going good, right? And in a week's time, have you seen it dry up? As a rancher, as a farmer, I have. And uh, we've seen it go for long periods of time. God is saying in his word, James is addressing, he says, rich man, you need to understand that riches pass. They fade away. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for that rock-solid faith. He's looking for that one of humility. And so he's saying, rich man, you're to glory in your humiliation. He's saying, you need to humble yourself and come back to God. You need to remember some things. Uh, verse 12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In verses 2 through 4, you got this walking through the test. And then at the end, who's been approved? It is at the coming of Christ or meeting Christ face-to-face. -face, he's going, God's saying, out a boy, out a girl. Way to persevere. Way to endure. Way to hang in there. That's what God's looking for. In that day, in that moment, in that time, that's what God is talking about, your faith. It is approved by God because it's been refined over and over and over again. And the character of Christ is coming forward, okay? Um, now let's continue on. Um, any, well, before we go on to the next, is there any, any concerns, comments this far? Um, I want you to understand, one, the test is coming, if you're not already in it. And that the character of Christ is being refined in your life and coming forward, and it's growing your faith. He's producing a rock-solid faith in you, okay, that God, that will be approved by God in the end, okay? So is there any question as to whether or not you're going to be tested? No. <laughs> um, can you make it through the test? Does God want you making it through the test? Yes. Okay. Walter?
Yeah, I, I w- in that, there is temptation and there is testing. Because many of the scars come from me being faithful and obedient in the test and the character of Christ comes forward. And then there's, there's um, the issue of in the midst of the test, the enemy wants to tempt me to satisfy my flesh or tempt someone else to engage in that test to hurt me. Um, so there's some scarring there. There's some being wounded. And yes, I would agree God uses that to, to grow your faith. The, the issue, let's move on into verse 13, 14, and 15 while we have some time because this, the, the person that James is confronting would use God to justify their behavior. So, well, God wants me to be blessed. God wants me to be wealthy. Um, uh, they often would um, put it on God and say that they are being righteous they are being spiritual because we know this because he, they look down on the poor man and say, you're not very spiritual. Look, you'd be blessed by God. In verse 13, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Okay, remember our understanding of the test. God submits us to the test for our character to be developed Uh, to be proven, uh, to grow our faith. He does it so that the real character is able to come forth, the genuine faith come forth. He never does it to cause someone to fall, okay? Uh, The temptation comes from someone else. Um, Verse 14 and 15, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, Um, who is the one that is tempting here? I would say, uh, well, let's finish the process. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. When we say death, remember he's talking to the brethren. He's talking to those who are saved. One saved person takes approach to life to where they're desiring to be an image bearer and the character of Christ is coming forth. The other one, satisfies the flesh. They give in to temptation and lust, okay? And they're not able to, to when he says the, it, it, it brings forth death, it is the inability to represent the character of God, okay? Uh, James, we're not talking about are you truly, truly saved or not. We're not talking about uh, salvation uh, by works or salvation by grace. We're not talking about those two things, what we're talking about is a response to God, okay? And, and our responding to uh, faith in God in the midst of our testing. And we're going to see that as we walk through this. Uh, verse 14 and 15, uh, what, what happens first? We're tempted when we are, uh, we're tempted, and then one is carried away and enticed by his own lust. What is happening there? We are looking at... We're looking at the object, and we're determining whether it's good or bad through our own eyes. Who did that? Remember in Genesis uh, chapter 3, what happened? Uh, God said, don't touch that fruit. Don't, don't eat of that fruit, excuse me. Don't eat the fruit on that tree. God is the source of wisdom. God is the source of what is good. 
and to go against his character is considered evil. Satan tempts Eve, and he says, did God really say that? Eve, God's holding out on you. What was, the, what was Satan saying? He was saying, one, causing her to doubt the goodness of God and doubt his word. Okay, did God really say that? Eve, God's just holding out the goodness of God. So then what does she do? The character of Satan, his influence, she begins to see for herself. She looks at the fruit. She saw that it was good, the lust of the eye and the pleasing of the flesh, and she began to determine for herself what was good versus what was evil. And so what's happening? As she is determining, what do we see coming on the stage? Human wisdom. Viewing things through your eyes influenced by Satan, and so you becoming like your own God, determining good versus evil, and here's what's happening. The lust, uh, we're carried away and enticed by our own lust. We're looking at it through our eyes, through our own wisdom, and saying, I think that would be good for me. I think that would be good. Have you ever heard that in regarding a sin? You ever heard someone just say, well, why would God say that's, that's wrong? God wants me to be happy. And the individual will look at that situation. I've literally had people justify their sin because they base it on God wanting them to be happy. God is not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. It's be holy for I'm holy. We'll see that in Peter. Where's Peter? And so this lust of the mind and our flesh, then when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It moves towards the act. Begins in the mind, you determining what is good for you, you responding to that determining, and then it births the action, okay? And so in that, what we have is sin is birthed, uh, it's accomplished, and it brings forth what? Death, the inability to represent God, his character, to be an image bearer. Okay, we saw that with Eve. And so what we want to do is whenever we see our flesh, when we see our, what we view as being good, we never want to say, well, that's, that's God. God's leading me that way. That's just sin. That's just us being tempted. Satan wants it for our fall. What did happen to Adam and Eve? We call it the great what? fall okay it was for our destruction it was to destroy the image bearer okay and so we know that christ uh, the ultimate image bearer of god came and he did it the right way and so as we're moving further through the text he says do not be deceived my beloved brethren every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Um, verse 16, right away, we need to be aware that we can be deceived. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. He's writing to the church. Out of love for the church, he, he's writing to them to teach them, to encourage them, uh, to be true image bearers and not succumb uh, to temptation, but rather in the testing of their faith to be refined. Uh, in uh, 
verse 17, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from where? It's from above, uh, coming from the Father of lights. Uh, we know in Genesis there's been a reference to God. Uh, when we say the Father of lights, he spoke and light came into being. Uh, we also know in 1 John, he speaks of Christ as light. Uh, actually, uh, whenever you see in Scripture light being referenced in, with Christ, it is actually uh, equivalent of life, okay? We go, go to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, verse 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, you go further on um, in verse 11, Christ came to his own, and those who uh, were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, excuse me, I missed verse 8. Uh, he was not, uh, John the Baptist, he came as a witness, uh, verse 7, to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Verse 8, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. So every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. The character of God, the goodness of God, the righteousness of God does not show partiality or change. It does not shift. It is not shadowy. It is true. Light shines in the darkness and dispels the darkness. It exposes evil deeds. You cannot overcome light. Light overcomes darkness. Who came down from above? Jesus. We needed to know the character of God. We need to have that revealed to us. Jesus, the word, made flesh. The word reveals who God is. So that revelation of who God is takes on flesh, the character of God takes on flesh and comes down to man, confronting human wisdom, human judgment, uh, man determining what is good through his own eyes. You go back to Judges. At the end of Judges, there's a phrase. Do you remember the phrase? And everyone did what was right in their own what? Eyes in their own eyes. Why? Because the eye is the, the means by which we evaluate what is good versus evil. Everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes, according to their own eyes, okay? So in order to receive this revelation, the righteousness of God, Christ, the word, becomes flesh. The light shines in the darkness. Now the rev full revelation of God, who God is, is in the flesh, and now we know. Now we know. We have the wisdom of God in the flesh. And the wisdom of God went where? To the cross. Paid the penalty for our sins, was buried, resurrected, ascended to the Father, and one day's coming back. So guess what, folks? As Christ is, we are to be and one day will be.
that 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 lights wet wood. That's that's good stuff. This is um, a wisdom. This is a God who does not. There's no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. What came to us? What is this bringing forth? We just read it in John. Salvation, not born of flesh, not born of our own will, but by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Who were the first fruits among the nations? The Jews. Everything we have for our faith came where? Through the Jews, okay? The prophets, uh, the apostles, the teachings, the word. The Jews, where did salvation first appear? Uh, In Jerusalem. The Jews, that's right. And then it went out to the Gentiles, okay? First fruits among his creatures, okay? And so you move into verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Uh, this, uh, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves, that is, deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was." The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful here, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. I need to stop there because there's a whole lot there. Again, we're tying along this line, okay, being an image bearer, uh, walking through the testing and this faith, rock-solid faith coming forth, God producing that by refining us. In verse 9, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Uh, Quick to hear. Where do you... uh, here, where is that word here used uh, in the scripture and in regard to? Remember? The word of God. What are we looking for? We're looking for wisdom. We're looking for our faith to be refined and grow. We're looking for the right response. We're looking for the wisdom of God. Um, this, you know, um, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In the middle of the trial, let's keep in the context of the trial and the testing of this refining of your faith. There, were, uh, there was a situation, and I, I think this is an example. Uh, I don't, honestly, I don't know if he's referencing Genesis or not, okay? But there's an example for us. Eve was looking for um, a son to be the Messiah. Remember the, the prophecy. Uh, David shared that with us walking through the story, the biblical story in Genesis um, there was a prophecy where uh, the Messiah would uh, have his heel bruised by Satan and he would crush the head of the serpent, right? Okay, that's talking about the Messiah. So Eve, as we track through Scripture, we're looking for the Messiah, the coming promised one, right? Okay, so Eve gives birth to two sons. Her hope is that Cain is that son, that man who would uh, die and then crush the head of the serpent. So 
Uh, she has Abel as well. The two sons bring forth an offering to the Lord. Cain, from, uh, Cain gave from the fruit of the ground his offering. Abel from his firstlings of the flock. When you go back into Genesis 3, we see the first uh, sign of the covering, the atonement, where God, uh, Adam and Eve's covering was inadequate. So what did God do? He had to slay an animal. There's the uh, blood had to be shed. Uh, life is in the blood. Uh, life had to be taken in order to atone for sins. God kills an animal, sacrifices an animal, and covers them with the skin, with the hide of the animal. Now, Abel, his offering is of the firstlings of the flock. Uh, the Lord had regard for whose offering? Abel's. Uh, he rejected Cain's. Okay, Cain approached God in his own wisdom his own rebellion. You go through Genesis chapter 4, uh, verses 6 through 9, and I'll, uh, I'll read that to you. Uh, verses 6 through 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Because when God rejected his offering, he's angry about it. Who is he angry with? He's angry at God because he rejected his offering, but uh, imagine when we read the text, he's also angry with Abel. He's jealous because Abel's was accepted. But for Cain, uh, yeah, sorry, verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for whom? For you. But you must master it. You must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother. So they have a conversation about it. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, um, in the text, he's talking about um, James's Discussing anger here. We're in the midst of the test. We're in the midst of the trial. Um, he says we must be quick to hear, slow to anger, uh, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Uh, there's going to be a lot of judging in James, judging the poor man, judging, judging the brother in the fellowship. Uh, there's going to be an issue of the tongue, speaking against the, the brethren. Uh, there's going to be an elevating of self and using the tongue for that. Uh, quick to hear. Whenever we find ourselves in a situation for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In that moment, as we're walking through the testing and the trial, we, we want to respond appropriately, right? We want the character of Christ to come forward. In that testing or trial, have you ever gotten angry? You ever been pretty upset? you ever been angry with God? You want to get, if you want to be honest. Okay. Um, I have been angry with God. I have been angry with God over other people, the situations. Uh, in those moments, I need to be quick to hear. Remember Matthew 13? Uh, for the sake of time, we, we might come back to it, but uh, what did Jesus say in Matthew 13 in regard to the word? The Jews, the Pharisees, they heard it, but they didn't hear, okay? And there's some situations where the seed, the word is planted, 
okay? Maybe I do need to go there. Uh, Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13, and he says in verse, I think it's uh, uh, 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Uh, Remember with this anger that James is talking about? And remember when you look at Genesis, what was crouching at the door? Sin. The enemy, we've prayed on Sunday mornings and when we approach the word of God that we would have ears to hear. The enemy would not be able to snatch away, if you will, uh, the word. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. When affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who Here's the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. You see, multiple times there's a hearing of the word, but not hearing. Okay, the context, uh, the religious leaders, Pharisees, uh, he's, Jesus has been presented. The king is being presented. They reject the king. They hear his words, but don't receive it. They don't, they, they don't understand him. Uh, you go on um, in verse 23, and the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil... This is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. When we are in the midst of the test and we're asking for wisdom, where does the wisdom come from? comes from God, revelation through his word. We receive his word. It's in that moment that we are to appropriate and apply God's word in the middle of the test, and it's going to be at work in us. And it's going to be a part of growing our faith. Uh, I need to be quick to hear the word. I need to be slow to engage my mouth. Because if I'm not in a good place and I'm asking for this wisdom, I'm asking for direction, my flesh sometimes wants to step forward in the middle of it. And I want to respond. And many times, uh, I think Jesus even referenced this, what is in the heart comes out. I need to be slow to speak. I need to be quick to hear. And what do I need to be quick to hear? I need to be in the word. Now that hearing the word comes from me reading and studying it, but also comes from uh, the brothers and sisters in the body. Say it again. Do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. We're to come together and encourage one another to love and good deeds. I need to hear the word to encourage me to love and good deeds. In the midst of that testing, in the midst of that trial, love and good deeds needs to come forth. If I'm quick to speak what's on my heart in my flesh and and I'm slow to listen to the word, I'm going to oftentimes respond in a very inappropriate way. Sin is crouching at the door. I need to be very careful. Satan wants my destruction. He wants me to fall. He wants me to take the path of death to fulfill and satisfy the lust of my flesh, my selfish desires, and not be an image bearer, producing death in the body, inability to be an image bearer. And so uh, slow to speak and slow to anger. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Do you understand what that means? We often go, well, God had a righteous uh, Jesus had a righteous wrath, or I don't remember how we said it. Righteous indignation. Thank you, brother. 
okay? But you and me, we're not Jesus, okay? Let's get over ourselves. We're not Jesus. Enough of that. Oftentimes when I get angry, it's because of unmet expectations. We get angry with God or we get angry with the situation. We're not happy about it, and we voice that, and many times we hurt people. Anger is often a symptom of something below the surface, okay? Whenever you see someone get angry, that's just the symptom of what is below the surface. I'll give you an example. Anyone ever seen a volcano, all right? Volcano is there's this tremendous pressure underneath the ground, and this hot stuff called lava is looking for a way out, okay? And it finds that crack. When it finds the crack, it busts through many times in a very uh, destructive way. That is a visual for our anger. When we are uh, slow to hear God's word and we engage our mouth, we engage our flesh, and we allow that anger to take hold of us, it comes forth and it's not able to bruise the righteousness of God. In the church, okay, we'll keep in the context, James is dealing with the church, dealing with the congregation, two ways of living. One is sacrificial mercy, as some have said, where I am going to respond like Christ, okay? I want to close with this, and we'll come back to it. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, one in, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So, right, what, what is the... What's the visual there? If you wanted to, you could have a uh, Jesus up here, and we're all running the race, right? And what's slowing us down? Sin. It entangles us. It wraps us up. It trips us up. We fall, and, and we're running. We're trying. But he says, fixing our eyes on whom? Jesus, the author and perfecter of what? Our faith, okay? And so he goes on to say, um, who for the joy set before him endured what? The cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Uh, do you think he would have uh, every right, according to our human wisdom, to be angry? Yes? Yes. I think he has a right to be upset. In fact, when he appeared to the the apostles and those in the upper room, uh, he, he had every, you dirty, rotten scoundrels, y'all abandoned me. You left me high and dry. I looked up and you were gone, baby. That's not his response. His response was, peace be unto you. He spoke peace. Consider the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Uh, and consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you, he, he's, he's talking to the, the believer, he's talking to the church, he's talking to the, those who are in Christ. So you find yourself, you find yourself in the trial. Man, I wish I could draw. Uh, you, you, find, you find yourself in the trial. Here's God, and, and man, he's dropping that faith in. Man, we're just going at it. And here's the trial, and, and I, I so want to get angry. My flesh wants to cry out. I want to I hit something. 
I don't want to display the righteousness of God. I don't want to be an image bearer in that moment. I need to shut my mouth. I need to not say a word, and I need to go to the word of God because in that moment right there, you know what needs to happen? My faith needs to be proven, and I need to remember that right here, right here, the return of Christ, he's coming. Oh, baby, it's going to be a good day. And guess what? So in the meantime, instead of getting angry, instead of responding with my flesh, I need to respond like Christ. I need to remember Christ. That he endured for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, the shame of the cross. The joy set before him is that you and I could be in Christ. We could get right with God. We could have the peace. And the, we could have the access with God. We could be made right with him. For the joy set before him, he's fashioning a, a group of people who are going to be image bearers. Praise God, they're going to be set free from sin. And they're going to be set free from the shame of sin. The penalty is going to be paid. And so in the midst of this right here, I need the wisdom of God to know how to respond for the joy set before me. What's the joy set before me? He's coming back, and I'm going to receive a crown of life. And he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. He's going to say to me, way to hang in there. Way to let your faith be proven. You made it through the hardship. You made it through the test. And it was over and over and over again. But praise God, guess what? The blessings come. The resurrection comes come. It's all been worth it. Paul and Peter, all of them said, oh, but this suffering's but a moment. Life is but a vapor and it's done. It's over. Praise God. It's just like that. I can do anything, a friend said, for 15 seconds. Talking about planking. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, man. You need to get a new focus. I need to get a new focus. And that needs to be fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Before the joy set before him, endure the cross. That's the wisdom of God. That's how he'd have us approach testing, trials. There's nothing too big, nothing so great that he hasn't already been through. He's the first born among many Brethren, hallelujah. That's some good stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <coughs> I'm done. All right. Um, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I've got a lot to learn. I, I'm going to tell you, James is tough for me. I've got a lot to learn. This walk has been amazing. Um, I was telling a brother, we walked in early. He got here early. In spite of me, in spite of us, God continues to work because it's his church and we belong to him. So James is calling that rich man, that believer who's not responding appropriately. Uh, he's saying, humble yourself. Remember, we'll see it in the text. Basically, he's Remember that moment when God humbled you and you came to salvation? Go back to that place. If you're walking in pride and arrogance, James's letter is going to humble us all because they were looking in the mirror of the word of God and oh my, <laughs> uh, that wasn't going too well and it doesn't go too well. You see, as long, if I'm comparing myself to you, I might be able to fool myself but when I compare myself to Christ. 
the reality comes crashing in. Amen. So we've all been saved by grace. We're all on the journey together. We're all going to be tested. We need to hear the word of God that we might have the wisdom of God and know how to respond in order to be image bearers. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our time together. I thank you for your word. It is so rich, so vast. It's such a treasure. And Lord, I will never be able to comprehend all of it. I will never be able to have it down, and I have so much to learn, but I'm thankful that you're patient and gentle with me. Uh, you are gracious. You do not give me what I deserve. You give me what I need, and that's grace. You give me mercy. You have sacrificially uh, given of yourself that we might be blessed. Oh, that we would be like you. Help us to be that way. Help us in the midst of our testing, our trial. Help us to respond that way. Help us to not be judgmental of our brothers and, and Lord, uh, seek selfish gain out of life and, and justifying that by saying it's from you. Um, Lord, I'm just humbled uh, tonight by your word. Thank you for each person here. I pray that uh, we would be faithful to be uh, part of the body of Christ, that, Lord, we would not rob from you. We not rob from Christ and from the body, that we would be obedient and faithful uh, to be a part of the body, to serve you through serving each other. Lord, this is the best way to manifest the love of Christ is by being the body and serving each other and uh, in the community we live in. Thank you for each person. May you bless their stewardship. May they steward well the life that you have given them and those things within their life that they might obey you and honor you and exalt the name of Christ and that we might together further your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here. Good night.